Well, okay, we're in this series called Locally Owned and Operated. And I started this series last week, and we started talking about the local church, the importance of the local church. And this morning's message is entitled, Deadliest Catch. And so the question is, is do you view church? How do you view church? Do you view church like a, like a cruise on a cruise ship? Or do you, do you view church like deadliest catch, a fishing vessel that goes into dangerous waters, uncharted waters, and all those other things? Because I'm telling you, the way... The way you view church and the way that I view church is critical. In other words, this, in this room, we may have all different types or kinds of views of the local church and what the local church is. Here's the important thing, that our view lines up with God's view of the local church. Because it's so critical that our view and his view lines up. Because when our view of church lines up with his view of church, there are some great things that begin to happen. And so today, if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, you can turn to or click to Matthew chapter 16, uh, Acts chapter 3, or again, you can use the YouVersion app, and you can open up your YouVersion app, go to live event, and, or, or search live, and then search for live event, click on Fellowship of the Rockies, and then you can take notes right there, and you can email them to yourself at the close of the service. And so, but we want to look at this issue this morning of the local church. Now, there's some people who will tell you that when Jesus began to talk about the local church, he, he kind of sent some mixed messages, some mixed signals. Now, listen, we may communicate like that. Um, I mean, when we communicate, we may give some mixed messages. Like, ladies, I don't know if you know this, but sometime you give us guys some mixed messages. Uh, right? I mean, to where we just don't understand. Like, like men, like when you're driving in the car with your wife and she screams, oh no, that could mean anywhere from there's a baby in the road you're about ready to hit to I forgot my purse. I mean, it, there's like, no, there's like no, no common ground. It's just like, what does that mean? And it could mean like anything. It's so, so we know in our communication that if we're not careful, we'll send mixed messages. But I'm here to tell you, when we look at Scripture this morning, that Jesus got the disciples together, and he didn't send mixed messages. He wanted to clear this issue up about the church. Matthew chapter 16 is the very first place that the word church ever appears in Scripture. And Jesus begins to talk about the church. He uses a Greek word, ekklesia, that simply means this, the called out ones, the called out ones to local congregations. And so he used that word. And so, But here's the interesting thing. Jesus takes his disciples, and they made their way to the northern part of Israel to a place called uh, Caesarea Philippi. Now listen, this is 30 miles out of their way, and that may not mean much to you, but please remember they walked in their day. Fact is, if you go to Israel and you want to take that same 30-mile journey by bus, which I recommend it, it'll take you a half a day. The roads are difficult. The roads are windy. You're going to go up through the Golan Heights, and you're going to go almost to the border of Lebanon. Now, listen, the reason I tell you that is this, is because the setting where Jesus tells them about the church is critical for us to understand. It's critical for us to put ourselves in their place, their setting, their context. And so Jesus takes them 30 miles out of the way, a journey that they didn't have to make, simply for him to ask them one question and then to define the local church. So it's critical we understand the setting, we understand what Jesus was saying. So two things, two principles about the local church, this issue of the local church. The first thing is this, culture is not the problem. Listen, I'm telling you, you have a lot of Christians, and maybe you've said it, you, you have a lot of Christians, you have a lot of churches that say, you know what, the culture is just too dark. The culture is just too immoral. The, the culture is just anti-God. The culture this, the culture that, and the church blames the culture for their lack of growth, 
their lack of reaching people. And I'm here to tell you, when Jesus Christ set up the church and he got the disciples together at Caesarea Philippi, he wanted to be clear on this. Guys, culture is not the problem. Culture will never be the problem. And here's what he tells them, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. He says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say the son of man is? And so all of a sudden these disciples, they get nervous, and so they give life group answers. They give church answers. Because, see, there were some people that said some pretty derogatory things about Jesus. And, and Jesus was aware of it, and the disciples were aware of it. But you know what? They said, you know what? We're in life groups, so we're going to give Christian answers. I mean, we're not going to tell how we really feel. We're not going to tell what we're really dealing with. We're going to give church answers. And so they give church answers, and they said, well, you know what? Some people say you're John the Baptist, because John the Baptist was a pretty great guy. I mean, he was like the forerunner to Christ. And, oh, some people say you're Elijah. And Elijah was this guy that called fire down from heaven and did some great things. And then some people say, you know what? You're, you're Jeremiah. And some people think you're Jeremiah, who Jeremiah was a great prophet. And then Jesus presses in a little bit deeper. And so he said to them, verse 15, but who do you say I am? And listen, he asked every one of us that question today. He doesn't care who your spouse says he is, who your children say he is. You know what he cares about? He cares about who do you say he is. And Jesus began to press in. And so Simon Peter responds, and, and, and he says, well, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. So all of a sudden, ding, 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 you know, Simon Peter gets it right. And a lot of times, Simon Peter gets it wrong, and Simon, Simon Peter was confused, and, and he said some things, he did some things, but not this time. Simon Peter got it. Simon Peter understood. You see, Matthew chapter 15 and Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is talking to the, the Pharisees, and he's debating this issue with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees go, well, you know what? Just give us a sign, and we'll believe. And Jesus says, you're not getting a sign. And he turns to his disciples, start telling his disciples, be very careful of the leaven, be very careful of the teaching of the Pharisees. And so you see Simon Peter, Simon Peter stays focused, and, and he doesn't let the teaching of the Pharisees and, 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 and enter into his thinking. And he gives the right answer. He said, well, Jesus, you're the, you're the son of God. And he got it right, and, and Jesus begins teaching his disciples in verse 17, and Jesus answered him, well, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. And the, and the gates of hell, here's a wonderful promise, and the gates of hell. Man, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so this is the first time the word church is ever used in Scripture. And, and I get it, and I understand with the word rock, uh, uh, Jesus used to play on word, petros and, and petra. And so I understand that, and I get that. But you know what? I think understanding this to the depths that Jesus was, was talking, for us to understand the, the setting. Why did he take them 30 miles out of the way? Why did he take them this long journey? You see, you've got to know some things about Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was the most pagan, corrupt city in their time, in their area. Huge immorality, huge uh, idol worship, huge demonic things going on. I mean, Caesarea Philippi was like the darkest, most corrupt city of their time. It was kind of like this. It was kind of like the Las Vegas of the Bible. <laughs> to, where, to where they did campaigns and they did billboard campaigns like this, like what happens in Caesarea Philippi stays in Caesarea Philippi. I mean, Caesarea Philippi was like the most dark, corrupt place there is. And then all of a sudden, Jesus uses this place. It's so strange to me. Why would he use this setting? Why would he go to a place that's immoral, that's corrupt, idol worship, to tell the disciples, about the church. Some other things you need to know about Caesarea Philippi. Outside of Caesarea Philippi, 
is like this ginormous rock, not just any rock, it's like a boulder. If you ever go to Israel, you've got to beg, beg, beg your, your tour guide to take you to see this rock for yourself. You see, this rock was like, was like a boulder. And out of the bottom of this rock would f- flows a naturally fed spring. And the people of that area, the people of Caesarea Philippi would say, that's a portal to hell. That's a portal to the underworld. And they believed that demonic gods and false gods and their gods would travel in and out of that portal to the underworld, to their world. And as a result of that, they put up thousands upon thousands of idols. Fact is, the place was littered with idols. And they would do idol worship there. And that's where Jesus takes them. Oh, and by the way, you want to guess what the name of that rock was and is? Gates of hell. Gates of hell. And Jesus takes these disciples to the most corrupt, most pagan area of their time. I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell, culture, demons, idol worship will never overcome the church. A lot of people debate what is the rock. Was the rock that he's going to build his church on Peter who would become the first pope and he'd have this ascension and all this other stuff? Was the rock the confession of Christ that by that statement, Christ is the son of the living God, the Messiah, that's what I build my church on, that statement, or is a little rock? I believe it's a little ro- literal rock and the statement on the confession that Christ is the son of the living God is what the church is birthed on. And so this debate goes on, but, but it's clear with the setting, it's clear with the context. The church, listen, let me tell you something. The church is a movement, not a monastery. And the church is a movement. And listen, let me just, just so we're, on, so we're clear, I am a pastor, not a chaplain. Most people want a chaplain. They don't want a pastor. They want a chaplain. You know what they want? They want someone that's going to marry them and bury them and make them feel as comfortable as possible in between. That is a chaplain. I am not a chaplain. I'm a pastor. And as a result of that, when you look at what Jesus said about the church and the context in which he birthed the church, you've got to understand a church is a movement, not a monastery, and that we are going to go into the gates of hell across enemy lines, into dangerous lines, and we are going to set captives free. And we're going to bring people out of the bondage of the world and out of the bondage of the evil, evil one and see life trans- transformation in life. And Jesus says, you know what, I'll build my church. I'll build my church right here, and don't you worry about it. The gates of hell will never prevail against the church. Now, that's a crazy thought. I mean, what army gives their soldiers gates for weapons? Who does that? And you know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying this. He says, the church is supposed to be on the offense. The gates of hell are on the defense. And you know the problem a lot of times is the church forgets that. 
and the church gets to a certain size and they get to a certain success and they say, you know what, we're just going to hold on to what we get. We're not going to risk, we're not going to walk in faith, we're not going to trust God. We're just going to try to huddle up. Listen, church is not about us just huddling up and singing kumbaya and hoping for the best. Because Jesus said, guess what? Culture not the problem. And I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the problem, listen, the problem is not the culture we live in. I am so sick and tired of hearing Christians and churches complain about the culture. They complain about the culture. They complain about the government. They complain about organization. They complain about their job. They complain about society. They complain about local leaders. They complain about how dark culture is, how difficult culture is. Culture is not the problem. Listen, the culture has always been consistent. The culture has always been pagan. The culture has always been dark. The culture has always been lost. The culture has always been against God. Why? Because the Bible tells us it's in control of the evil one. So the culture has always been consistent. Listen, I'm telling you, there's a lot of churches, there are a lot of believers say, well, it's just too hard today to win our friends to Christ. It's just too hard. I mean, the culture is so dark. Do you think it's dark now? You study the first two to 300 years of, of, of church growth. You look at the obstacles that the disciples felt and faced. You look at what they went through. I mean, they had obstacles like you wouldn't believe. I'm telling you, the culture is not the problem. A church, just so we're tracking this morning, a church that wants to grow without going through growing pains is like a, it's like a woman that wants to have a baby without labor pains, without going through labor. It's just part of it because we know this, that every open door that God gives is opposition. Every open door that God gives you in your life to advance the kingdom, to advance the gospel, brings opposition. Every open door that God gives a church brings opposition. Read it for yourself, the whole book. That's what the book of Acts is about. And so we pray for the open doors, but guess what? We also get ready and we also pray for the opposition. And so the truth is this. The truth is church culture can become the problem. When people no longer understand what the local church is and their view of the church doesn't line up with God's view. And the church gets into this stance of, of defense. Now listen, most of you know I was born in, in Texas. You, I've lost my accent so you probably can't even tell now, but I was born in Texas. And so as important as a Texan that, I, I mean, I mean it, well, you were just born a cowboy fan. I'll just get right to it. And so, and so I was raised as a cowboy fan, Tom Landry, you know, Roger Stallback days, glory days, and that whole deal. Uh, and Tom Landry was a great coach. He's a great man. He's a great Christian and all of those other things. But one thing Tom Landry was known for, he's really conservative. And so whenever the cowboys would get, get a lead of any sort, they would go into what was called Prevent defense. Some of you football fans, you know that. And all prevent defense meant for the Cowboys was it's just going to take you a lot longer to lose. I mean, it's just like dying a slow death in a game. And so the Cowboys would go into prevent defense, and we're screaming at the TV. You know, you'd see the momentum shift. The other team starts scoring some points. And all of a sudden now, instead of the Cowboys being on offense, they're on the defense. It's this preventative defense. They're, they're just trying. They are no longer trying to win the game. They're just trying not to lose. And like we would be screaming at the TV, just let Roger throw the ball. 
get the ball into the hands of Drew Pearson, get the, get the ball into the hands of Bob Hayes, or, or give it to Tony Dorsett. Just do something. Get aggressive. Listen, let me tell you something. That's the problem today. There are a lot of churches, you know what they're in? They're in prevent defense. They're, not, they're no longer trying to win. They're no longer trying to risk. They're no longer walking in faith. Here's what they're doing. We're just playing not to lose. And Jesus says, guess what? You're supposed to be on the offense. Because I've given you a great promise that I will build my church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. They will not beat it. They will not defeat it. No culture, no demon, no idol can prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. So it can be the church's fault because the church can be inconsistent. Another thing about church is this. Church is a movement that nothing can stop. That's what Jesus was trying to convince the disciples and get them to understand that church is a movement that, guess what, that nothing can stop. Jesus used the word kingdom of God, and kingdom of God was the universal church, all the believers, the church, capital T, capital C. That's who Jesus was talking about. And so church isn't a place where we just huddle up in our little groups and we, we, we sing kumbaya and we, we hope for the best, but church is a place where we, just, we actually move out. Listen, just so we're tracking this morning, church is not a cruise ship. A cruise ship is a place where you go for special occasions. A cruise ship is goes when it's convenient to you, right? A cruise ship is a place where you go and you, you sit on deck chairs and you eat like 17 meals a day and they entertain you and, and you gain 1.7 pounds a day because it's just to the buffet line and back to your room and to the buffet line and you go to some shows and oh, when you're not served the way you think you should be and when the show isn't up to par and when, when things go wrong and you're not served and the food's not hot and the buffet not enough food, guess what? You find some someone to complain to. And Jesus was very, very clear that guess what? Church, not a cruise ship. And if that's your idea of church, then you have the wrong idea. See, what Jesus says, church is not a cruise ship. Guess what? It's a fishing vessel. Jesus said it. Jesus says, I will make you what? I will make you fishers of men. It's a fishing vessel. And it, it's like deadliest catch. Where you go in for one thing, and you go into treacherous waters, and you go into dangerous waters, and you risk, oh, in deadliest catch, all hands on deck, or you won't survive. Everybody has a task. Everybody has a job. Everybody has a role to play. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about this. It is like deadliest catch. Listen, our major concern as pastors and leaders of this church is not just bringing people into this building. Our concern is bringing people into the kingdom of God. It is not about growing a crowd. It is not about a cruise ship. It is about bringing men and women, boys and girls, into this place to experience the presence of God, to accept Him, to be baptized, to be discipled, to be transformed, to be changed. It is about bringing men and women and boys and girls into the kingdom of God. So that then they can go out on mission and reach others. See, there's a couple of things about a movement. What makes a church a movement? And the first thing is this. We attract people. Any movement attracts people. We attract people. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Jesus begins to drill down with the disciples about this. And watch this. He begins saying, he says, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill that what? That cannot be hidden. When you start looking at these metaphors that Jesus uses... Jesus never intended us to be silent. You know what he said? 
I'm going to put you on the gates of hell and you let your light shine there. Because the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. And we're the light of the world and we're a city on a hill and, and as a result we attract people and church should be a place, I, I've always believed, where people come into this place and and they see what's going on and they sense the presence of God and they watch people worship who aren't ashamed of worshiping their God and they sense the presence of God and they say, you know what, I, I don't even know what to call that, but I, I need some of that. I want that. At Fellowship the Rockies, we value glorification over gratification. Cruise ship is all about gratification. Cruise ship is all about what benefits me, what makes me happy, the entertainment and all that. It's all about gratification. But you know what we value? We value glorification over gratification. In other words, this. That when we come into this place and we enter into worship, we do it for one reason, to bring glory and honor to God. That our worship would be appropriate. Our worship would bless him and bless his heart. Our worship would bring him honor and glory and that when people come into this room, they would see us worship him in such a way that all of a sudden they understand that surely the Lord is in this place. Jesus goes on, verse 15, and he says, Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand. Watch this. And it gives light to some of the people, just the Christians. I'm telling you, your worship in this place is a testimony to non-believers when they come in this room. It's a testimony to me. It encourages me when I gather with believers and we worship together. And Jesus says this, and guess what? It gives light to all in the house. To where they see him for who he is. And when people come into this place, they should experience the presence of God. Man, a city on a hill gets noticed. And a city on a hill is willing to leverage everything they got, time, talent, resources, gifts for the glory of God because we value glorification over gratification. We're not doing this for us. We're doing this for, for those who haven't even come yet. We're doing this for those who haven't even accepted Christ yet. We're doing those for those that feel like they don't even ha have a relationship with Christ. And so, so he goes on and watch this, more, more uh, metaphors. And he says, verse 13, And you are salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste... How salt, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. I mean, it's, it's like this. It's like when you put salt on your food. Once you put salt on your food, you can't get it out. I mean, my wife hates salt. She likes sea salt. I hate salt. I hate sea salt. I love salt. And there's times that I will like, I will like salt my food, and she's like, Seriously? Seriously, you're going to put that much salt on your food? And you know what? I'll say, I'll, I'll rub it off. <laughs> I'll get it off. You know what? You can't. You can't. See, here's the deal about salt. Salt permeates. Salt permeates everything it touches. And when you salt food or when you accidentally double the salt in a recipe and you bite the cookies, eat the cake, or, or eat the dish, and you realize, oh, I put in too much salt, you can't get it out. Why? Because salt permeates everything that it touches. See, that's our job. Our job is to permeate the salt 
Christ with everything that we touch. To permeate the job, the neighborhood, the community, the church, the situations we're in. And so we're not only a movement, we are on mission. And we attract people into this building and, and the, so that we can train them and so we can send them out on mission. Man, whether it's, listen, whether it's in this room or outside of this room, we do the same thing. We point people to Christ because we value. We value glorification over gratification. And verse 16, Jesus goes on and he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now listen, you can complain about the culture, you can complain about the darkness all you want. Or you can be the light. It breaks my heart to hear so many Christians publicly and talk shows and pastors and they're making fun of the darkness. They're complaining about the darkness and they're complaining about how dark culture is and how dark people are. And I wonder what the talk's been like in your home this last week. Complaining about the government and complaining about your boss and complaining about your situation, complaining about a spouse, complaining all those other things. And at the same time, you're asking God to bless you. And you're asking God to bless you in the job that you have no gratitude for now. So as a believer, you can complain about the darkness. Or you can be the light, and you just understand it's always been dark because it's in control of the evil. In other words, where you just don't identify, anybody can identify a problem, but you bring a solution because you're light and you're salt. See, the first believers, they took Jesus serious with, with this, and Acts chapter 1, and maybe we should back up to John chapter 14, when, when Jesus met with the, the, the disciples and told them, he says, I, I, I must go away, and you cannot, you cannot go with me now, but one day you will go, I'm going away to prepare a home for you, a house for you, and all of those other things. And, but be of good cheer, because I'm going to send you the same kind, uh, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will empower you and teach you and train you and equip you. And so the early disciples they took him very serious. And so Acts chapter 1, the Holy Spirit couldn't come till, till Jesus ascended into heaven. And Jesus ascends into heaven and the Holy Spirit and in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, then comes the Holy Spirit. Pentecost, the upper room, the prayer, you can read that for yourself. And so all of a sudden Jesus comes. And then Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, look how they respond to this. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was, be car was, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask for alms of those entering the temple. Now, stop right there. Why is Peter and John going to the temple? They're believers. They're followers of Christ. They no longer go to that church. That church doesn't honor Christ. They never. That's the temple. So why is Peter and John going to the temple? I'll tell you why. They're on mission. They understand about light and salt. See, the Bible tells us that that man, that beggar, was there every day. I think they were going just for him. So here's what happens. So they have this conversation. Verse 6, the man asked for money because he was asking for alms. And so the man asked for money, and Peter says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. In other words, what that says to us, whatever you have. Leverage it for the kingdom of God. That's being on mission. Whether it's your time, your talents, your resources, your gifts, your treasure, 
And you leverage that for the kingdom of God. Because the church is not a cruise ship. The church is the deadliest catch. It's a fishing vessel. And so whatever you have, you begin to learn and understand that God's the giver of all. And God blessed me with that. And all that he has given me, guess what? I'm on mission. And as a result of that, I will leverage that. I will look for opportunities to leverage what he has given me for the glory of God. I will look for every opportunity. In verse 7, he goes on, and, and the scripture goes on. And so he, and he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And, so, and here's the response. The response is this, and we'll read it, is that they praise God. It's the same thing that Jesus told them in Matthew chapter 5. Let's just read it. Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others, so that what? So they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In other words, they used what they had to help others. They used what they had to leverage it for the kingdom of God. Their goal and our goal and what Jesus says, the goal is, is transformation in people's lives so they will praise him. Because we honor and we value glorification over gratification. See, Acts chapter 3 helps us to understand this issue of good deeds. Good deeds are fine. Helping people is good. But only if you point them to Christ. Only if you give them the gospel. And we can feed people, we can house people, we can help people get free of addictions and marital problems. But the goal has to be that we point them to Christ. Listen, good deeds in this church, good deeds in the local church, are a means in which to point people to Christ. Verse 12, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. So the guy gets healed, he goes into church, people are saying, what's going on? And so, and so Peter leveraged it. He understood, I'm light in a dark world. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? See, he understood. So it's glorification. It's bringing glory to him. Jump down to verse 16. In his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong. You see and know the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the, in the presence of all. And so all of a sudden they begin pointing to Christ. Verse 17. And now, brothers... I know that you acted in ignorance, as, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that is, Christ would suffer, he thus would be fulfilled. And then here's an invitation. That's why we give an invitation. That's why we have prayer time here. Verse 19, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's one of the ways you know you've entered into the presence of the Lord because he refreshes you. And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. And thousands of people believe because it was a demonstration of God's power. The last thing about a movement in a church is this, is we use every opportunity to advance the kingdom of God. The okay, the church is a movement that demonstrates the power of God at every opportunity. Nobody ever believed five years ago or ten years ago that this church would buy 50 acres of land would be able to do some of the things that the church has done. And we use what we have. Because it comes from God, it belongs to God, and it is distributed by God. And Jesus Christ is the sustainer of the church. And so we use our time, we use our talent, we use our treasure for the kingdom of God. And we're a city on a hill. And we do the same thing here that we do out there. And we bring glory to him. And that's why we go, that's why we go to the event center every Easter. And we don't water anything down. We basically, it may be a, on a little bit of a larger scale, and we may have two to 3,000 people there and all of those other things. But you know what? 
We do exactly the same thing there that we do here because we're light in a dark world. We're salt, and we're on mission. We're on mission for people to come and experience the presence of God, uh, meet him, start a relationship with him, get baptized, get discipled, get transformed, and get sent out. That's why the journey is so important. If you haven't gone through the journey, I'm telling you. If you haven't gone through the journey, it's coming up two Tuesday nights, and, and it was in, Christina announced that, and and in the journey, we'll help you with what we believe and why we believe. We'll also help to equip you and to empower you. And the good news is this, is that the good news is this, is that the church will not be defeated. The gates of hell will not defeat the church. And I'm telling you, and we'll set on the gates of hell if necessary. Because the church will not, def- or the gates of hell will not defeat the local church. And we are not a cruise ship. We are deadliest catch. We are a fishing vessel. To be a light in a dark world. To be salt in a dark world. And we will permeate everything that we touch. And Pueblo, Colorado should be a better place because Fellowship of the Rockies is here. Because we value glorification over gratification. That's who the local church is. It is not about us. It is about Him. It's not about the bride, it is about the groom. And we live to give him honor and glory. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?